0: Hey on TurboTalks, Chris Jensen of Team Bike Exchange for stage 2 of the Garmin Never Stop series. Welcome to a special edition of the TurboTalks podcast. My name is Rob Pauw, and you are listening to the 2nd of 4 podcasts to accompany you on your Garmin Never Stop series on Swift. Because this December, Garmin is putting on the ultimate choose your own adventure experience on the virtual routes less traveled. Whether it's riding or running, a shorter or longer course, the four stages have it all. Including that fresh new Garmin Text in-game kit that is waiting for you if you complete any event. Plus, if you complete a long distance event on a stage, you are in it to win some cool Garmin and Text prizes. Each of the four long rides that you finish will give you an entry into the draw to win a brand new Tex Neo 2T and each long run completed is an entry to win a Garmin 4Runner 945 tri bundle. So no worries if you've missed the first stage already, you still have three more opportunities to get in the draw for these prizes. And to make it all even better, for every stage there is a special guest on this TurboTalks podcast for your in-ride entertainment. So time to jump on your text and start spinning those legs. Now you might be listening to this while you have just started stage two of the Garmin Never Stop series and maybe you are making your way around London with today's guest as your ride leader. He is one of the big engines of the pro peloton, so just make sure that you tuck in behind him and listen to what he has to tell us today. It's time to welcome him on the show, Chris Jensen of Team Bike Exchange. Welcome Chris, how's life in Denmark?
1: Thank you very much, oh, it's, it's good, it's good. I'm enjoying my, uh, my winter period here and winter has definitely arrived, 1st uh, of December, and it is, uh, it's snowing outside. So uh, uh, yeah, I've I've been already I've been on the the tax already this morning, uh, looking at the window to see the snow. It,
0: it really it really is the tax season. Like on this first episode of this series, we had the uh, Andre Friesknecht, the mountain bike racer, and he's in Switzerland. Uh-huh. So obviously, also uh, some snow and uh, also hooked to his taxi these days.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I am. I'm definitely. I'm. I'm me and my text—it's it's part of—it's an—it's an extra limb during the winter. Inseparable at the moment. You, yeah,
0: yeah, it's—it's
1: it's my most important piece of furniture in the house.
0: <laughs> now I've got actually one question for you. Like after the end of the season, is the mud already from your Garmin?
1: Is—is uh, is the what the mud? The mud, yeah. Well, <laughs> well it, the to be honest, actually, uh, the first couple of rides on the when I after my break. Um, there was still mud from Roubaix. <laughs> uh, but I thought that was pretty cool. So I just let the sweat sort of clean it off. I didn't want to clean it myself. So, because uh, I thought it was uh, a, such a memorable, historic Roubaix that, uh, like, I, I still have my, in, in my pain cave, I have the jersey from Roubaix with the mud on it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so my, sh- even my shoes, actually, shoes and garments still had like a, uh, they Roubaix dust mod, well, not dust, mod uh, <laughs> yeah, but I think i've I've sweated so much the last couple of weeks that it's 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 gone
0: <laughs> so so, what are you gonna do with the jersey? Keep the mod on and frame it or
1: yeah, yeah, i'm gonna I, I'm gonna give it to my brother. He's an artist and has a his studio here in Copenhagen um so he'll he'll probably uh, hang it up in his in his studio. oh wow, um so i just, I thought it's a pretty yeah, it's it's a good piece of memorabilia, although the actual race jersey. Is more or less spotless except for the sleeves because I had a vest, so I have a, a really a, a a vest that's covered in so much mud that you can almost fold it like a piece of paper, and then uh, the race jersey with the numbers on is uh, is pretty is pretty clean except for the arms.
0: And, and does your brother have any other memorabilia of your career in his studio? No,
1: no, he, he doesn't. But I, I, I think he, he thinks that. Like so many, he just, it's such a it's such a special race to watch as well. So to have a to have a jersey that's uh, caked in Roubaix mod, that uh, I think he thinks that's pretty cool. So, so, what was the story of the
0: day for you, for Roubaix? Because I, I knew you said on the backstage pass from from your team on Team Bike Exchange that you were very nervous. Yes, ever been that, that nervous well, before? That to me. Was
1: no. That, I think that was the most overwhelming experience from that uh, from the Roubaix was the the tension and the nerves that built up throughout the whole week because we were there early on in the week to do uh, the necessary recons test the material ride on the cobbles get a feeling you know which helped sort of ease the the initial tension because you sort of you can build up so many so much fear or so many scenarios uh, but when you get down there and you you see the section sectors and you, you 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 test the material and you ride on all the sectors then you know you get a feel for the stones like they say and that helped. but then as as the weather forecast deteriorated and we approached the start there there was no avoiding the you know that significant rise in tension compared to other races um and that's that's what really to me was the big difference but then luckily we have you know one of the greatest victories in modern cycling or in cycling in general matthew hayman's win in roubaix and his. One of our best sports directors and most you know uh, motivating sports directors i've come across he held to me one of the best post or pre-race speeches that could more or less be shown on a, any hollywood sports movie um you know as that was that really got everyone fired up um and then we you know we knew that once the race started it would you know you'd get you know you get wrapped up in the whole the race scenario and then it was sort of it wasn't a race like any other race by no means but it's sort of you just you went into race mode which also helps it's everything before the race that was more or less the most nerve-wracking
0: and what stuck with you most from uh, from matthew heyman's speech before the race
1: i think he just he drilled home that it's it's a race everyone wants to be at so You know, we might be sitting there in the bus going, oh, God, I'd rather be anywhere except for here. But then he reminded us that in actually you wouldn't, because if we were sitting at home watching it, everyone sat at home, wished probably to be there. And I know myself that had I not been there, because I was a bit of a late addition to the team, because the last couple of years of, I've focused more on the Ardennes, and when I've done the cobbles, I've always skipped Roubaix in order to uh, concentrate on 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 the Ardennes classics. So I haven't done Roubaix for a while. But now that it was so late in the program, you know, I, I immediately put my hand up and said, "Listen, if if you need an extra rider, given that it's late in the season, injuries and fatigue, then you know, I'm I was I was motivated to do it because I also didn't have many races post Tour de France and Olympics, so I was I was ready. But then, so heyman really reminded me that had i not been there i would have been desperate to be there if you know what i mean yeah and that sort of put it all into perspective that okay you also have to confront confront your fears you know head on so uh that's pretty much i suppose what everyone did
0: (laughs) and and then you crossed the line everyone who crossed the line that day was like completely empty i I guess it's the same for you How, how did you feel
1: empty and relieved you know And to be honest, for me, the most, the most hectic, stressful, and what felt as the most sort of uh, dangerous, nervous part of the race was the entire uh, 120 kilometers leading into the first sector. You know, that's where it really was nervous. And especially the last 30K before the first sector was, it was a real fight for position because we all knew that once you hit the first sector compared to dry Roubaix, then the race would more or less be, you know, not decided, but... A lot that happened on the first sector sort of decided or dictated what would happen in the rest of the race. So there was a there was a there was a vicious fight for position. Um, And me personally, I got into the first sector in a a very good position. And then I unfortunately punctured on the first sector already. But that meant that I spent the rest of the race in smaller groups, um, close to the main group and, you know, trying to get back and falling back and, you know, back and forth. So I was actually always in a position to choose my own lines, and it it was it was more a fight to get through the cars in the in, 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 in the convoy on on the on the, on the gra- or the, the cobble section than it was a fight with with a bunch of fifty sixty guys. So once I hit the second sector i was I was in a position to sort of control it quite well, and then it was just a, a fight to get through you know it's it turns into this uh, a mental battle as well because it's just so fatiguing and so intense on every muscle and limb in your body that it really is uh, a question of just getting through and getting there to the to the velodrome it's important to finish every race but the velodrome especially is probably the biggest carrot that can hang in front of a bike rider i'd say
0: and did you go into the famous showers afterwards
1: (laughs) to be honest no because we're cold and uh you know it's i had a i had a, a, an airplane i needed to catch so uh, it was a it was a it was a quick turnaround to be honest um i was hosed down by the mechanics after i quickly you know i i quit i had to make the the, the rash decision of okay save my roubaix jersey but then also get hosed down without any jersey on so that was quite cold and then uh, into the bus quickly change and then go to the airport still covered in uh, a rather a lot of mud in my ear and nose and hair but uh, then the, the satisfaction of sitting in an airplane seat knowing that you've just gone through Roubaix was uh, pretty special. Yeah, and
0: the person next to you was thinking, what, what, what's wrong with this guy with the mud in his ears? Or was it a teammate? Guy,
1: yeah, well, <laughs> what's, what's his story? He's, <laughs> he's dirty. <laughs> what,
0: was it the highlight of 2021 for you on the bike?
1: It was certainly one of the highlights for sure. But... Um, I suppose I've, I've, I've had a rather enjoyable uh, season filled with, with, with good, good races and good, good, good memories that, you know, it, it was one of many highlights, but uh, when we do, when I've done so many of the big races, then, you know, I was, I was, I was pretty spoiled to choose between the highlights, but for sure, in terms of sort of the, the broader picture and the, if you look at it from an historical perspective, then have being able to say you took part in, in the first, the wet roubaix after 20 years that was that was a nice thing to get on uh you know on 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 my palmaras as as races i've done and finished
0: so for next year would you prefer a wet one or a dry one if you would be in it
1: Well, oh, that's that's a good question because i i don't i not that i i know for sure but I'm, I'm 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 almost sure that i'm not on the roubaix roster for next year so hopefully it'll be a wet one and then I'll, I'll watch it but if if that's the case i'll probably sit there going god i wish i was doing it again yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so talking about like that 2021 season how was it in general for you what's the overall feeling that you take away from it
1: well it's sort of it's it's a it's a year where i look back and sort of split feelings because of course looking at it from the, the team's perspective we we obviously didn't have the wins that we we're used to in in the in the course of a, of an entire season you know we're we, Typically, we're, we're a team that have many wins, 30-plus 30, 30 wins throughout a season and um, spread out uh, spread out across many riders. And this year was a, a slightly different story. But to me, that didn't really change the the enjoyment of racing uh, throughout the year. And I think that has a lot to do with the way we race together as a team. You know, every race we go to, there's a great – there's a great um, – there's a, there's a feeling an atmosphere uh, amongst riders and staff and every rider and staff goes to a race wanting to win and wanting to perform as best as they possibly can and then you know you see it every year one year there's a team that wins a lot of races and the next year they don't but that's sometimes you, you can't really control that and there's a lot of things that could have had they gone differently then we would have had a, a, an, a an amazing season if you look at it with the tour de france and Michael matthews that was always close and You know mark cavendish that gets the call up late and wins four stages and a a beautiful comeback for him but it also meant that michael matthews all of a sudden was was close but uh, not close enough in terms of the green jersey and the yellow jersey on the first stage and then we lost our two strongest climbers that were really you know expecting to light their fireworks but yeah simon yates and lucas hampton both crashed out so that's sort of turning things a little bit uh, upside down. But in general, I would consider myself, oh, I consider, you know, my, my season personally was was a good one. Um, I had a great, great Giro where Simon was third. We went there to win. We rode as a team that wanted to win. And we, we really had a strong last week where he was definitely the strongest rider in the race when it came to climbing and won a beautiful stage. Thanks to also a beautiful piece of teamwork. So, you know, I, I look back uh, with fond memories of, of uh of
0: twenty twenty-one. Um yeah. I think it's like the last time that we spoke, because you've been on the Turbo talks podcast before, it was uh I think when COVID sort of like just started. Um yeah how has the Peloton or racing, how has it changed since then? Has it changed?
1: Well I I, de- I think you could definitely say that it has changed and I think we saw that already from the get-go last year and especially in the Tour de France and how racing has become so unpredictable and it must be such a joy to watch the big races uh, on the television because all of a sudden because you know the hierarchy within within the teams um, within the peloton has also changed the dominance that we've seen throughout the years with Ineos isn't isn't the same and we have uh, you know really strong individuals and young riders that have just sort of that have turned up and just thrown the whole sink at the peloton of and have really turned things upside down. And that makes it all very much, uh, like I said, rather unpredictable, but also even the more, you know, more exciting. Um, and it means that we sort of have to approach racing training differently because times have changed. And it's this, this young generation is just uh, a, have come in like a storm. And it's, uh, to me, it's, 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 it's a fantastic thing to be a part of. And it keeps me motivated to always have to, you know think you know where where can i do things a little differently and always maintain uh, an intense level of, of training to prepare for these these races that are just really what sums it up is that they're just hard from the from the get go you know um, and that's more or less all races that from kilometer 0 you really don't know what can happen
0: so is there already some things that you've done differently to prepare for that type of racing did you make adjustments well, in the training
1: yeah, or Yeah, training wise, I I spend a lot of time in, you know, in the high zones, in the red zones. And that's also thanks to do with my my tax and my garment that, you know, I I have a very structured program down in my basement uh, throughout the year. And especially these winter months where I really I've shifted from spending a lot of hours uh, with low intensity during the winter to Spending less hours, but with you know maximum intensity throughout the the winter period. Already from more or less day one, when I go back to training there, I I really uh, have a, a lot of focus on on high high intensity interval work, and then of course combined with with longer rides uh, on the road. But I'd, I'd say that's 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 been the main shift. That beforehand you maybe saw that first of January was sort of the switch from spending long hours at low low intensity and then you go into the new year and start, uh, you know, riding at a higher intensity where now I, I actually do that all year round. Um, obviously combined with the right amount of recovery in between. Otherwise, it's not possible. But uh, I spend more or less a, 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 over 50% of my time in November, December at high, high, high intensity. So I don't do cyclocross like the world's best road riders more or less. They all do. They're all world-class cyclocross riders, but in a way, I'm trying to simulate the stress of a cyclocross race down in my basement. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think it, last time you mentioned on the podcast, there should have been like a, a Swift ride called the, the JJ Special. Remember that one? And you said you spent as, <laughs> yeah, as, as yeah. many minutes as possible over 500 watts. Exactly. So, so I guess that's making yeah, a regular appearance sure. these days.
1: I don't. I don't know if I've been. If that's. I, or I, I sort of don't hope that's the plan on the seventh uh, of December. <laughs> but uh, the, the JJ special is is still uh, an important part of my uh, of my training. My, my my week of training, including today.
0: Oh, so you had a hot morning. Well, I feel sorry for when I said in the intro that people should just tuck behind you if you make it that hard on the seventh of December. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you will take it a little bit easier on it all.
1: I, I think I think I I, I assume that the seventh of December is going to be more of a, a group ride for everyone, which I'm also uh, I'll, I'll be a fan yeah. of. Yeah, 7th. definitely.
0: So, so you turn more maybe to a as they call it like a polarized approach to training.
1: Yes, yeah, and I have a you know I'm I'm really lucky that on on Bike Exchange we have some fantastic coaches that both are experienced uh, in terms of you know life in the pro peloton, but have just such a wide knowledge of the. Uh, you know of of how of, of training methods and the science and the history and the experience behind uh, certain training methods. And I myself, through throughout the eight years I've been on the team, have worked with with my trainer Mark Quad, who's who's a real encyclopedia. You know, I I think I, I I spend more time SMSing with him than I do with anyone else, Um because he's just you know he's just such an a waste a big reservoir of training knowledge, and he has all the sort of he has all the the experience to back his theories up with which i really enjoy because uh, then it's it's we don't change theories every week you know we we have a plan and then we stick to it and then we work on that throughout the course of of a block um and i find it quite interesting to sort of follow those type of plans and that is a yeah that's that's always to me quite a quite fascinating to to, to try and understand
0: so there has been a, a bit of a shift like you mentioned in his in his approach then as well now there's always in preparation of the season there's always i think what has become like an infamous bike exchange training camp with just a week yeah. long of just hours and hours and hours and more hours on the bike is, is that going to yeah, change for this that. year as well
1: i'm not actually quite sure we have a small uh we have a small small gathering here in the middle of uh of december where we uh we get we meet up and there we'll we'll talk more specifically about training camps and the plan but uh but now we've we've done that point-to-point camp last year obviously due to covid it wasn't a point-to-point but it was still a pretty adventurous camp because we spent well, i certainly spent on average about eight hours on my bike every day for give or take nine days wow. um yeah um, and I, I I love those camps but I think um, as it is with everything, they may they may choose to do something else so that we're not you know, so it doesn't turn into a routine of doing this every year year in, year out. so I'm sort of I'm curious to know what the plan is, but knowing knowing the team and knowing qua it'll certainly be something interesting and fun. Uh, well it's, people may think fun that doesn't really sound like fun, but to me, it, I, I like challenge, especially that time of year. You can sort of, you can get away with early January, uh, spend more time doing camps like that rather than uh, later on in the season. But I, I still, I'm not quite sure what the plan actually is.
0: All right, so we have to wait and see for that one. Um, yeah. So how was it? Because you recently announced uh, the contract extension, so it'll be later. Congratulations yeah. with that one. Uh, was it with the change in the peloton and the described of more racing, younger guys coming up? Were you sort of like nervous about that contract extension if it was going to come or?
1: No, no, I, I to be honest, I, I knew my future was safe with the team for a good few months before, uh, before the announcement. Um, I think that's just more of a media strategy in terms of having something to announce during the, the less busy periods, uh, in the winter months, um, but uh, but regardless, then it was it was a bit of a no-brainer to to re-sign because I was just I've, I I enjoy my my time on the bike and off the bike, probably just as importantly, uh, with Team Bike Exchange. You know, it's there's such a great atmosphere between riders, staff, management. You know, there's been a managerial change throughout the last couple of years, but to me, that you know, the the, the new people who have come in have just sort of uh, really blended in, and, and everyone has uh, it's been a, a good change, and nothing in a way has changed dramatically, uh, on just, you know, explain in the way that we're, we're still the team that we used to be, and we're still, you know, good mates that meet uh, at a race and then are desperate to try and win the races. So it's it's such a nice balance of, of being super professional and very serious, but then, uh, you knowing that you can, uh, you can enjoy yourself talking to your teammates for several hours, almost at the dinner table. Um, it's, yeah that to me it was just an obvious choice really
0: yeah and you're part of that core now for such a like, a couple of years now what is it five years almost I think it is
1: yeah even more it's, uh, it's yeah, I said eight but six years so these so this would be my seventh and eighth year on the team yeah
0: so and yeah. Do, but do you notice around you that other riders who may have not maybe that sort of like security um, that there is more tension around? A contract extensions or a new contract in the peloton amongst riders or
1: well, I th- well I th- luck, it's, it's, luckily for me i've always been in a position to to know where my future lies uh re- relatively early in in in, in my season uh, during a contract year but of course with especially with covid i'd say um and and with with the the level of the peloton then yes for riders that you know, are w- without a contract later in the later stages of the season, then it's never a nice place to be. Um, and it, it never has been. It's always been, a, you know, riders right, in a state of uncertainty late on in, in the seasons is, is, isn't is uh, something I, I would I would like to experience myself. And I can, I can understand that there's still, you know, there's uncertainty with a couple of teams in the Peloton now, whether they're going to exist next year. And that leaves also a, a, a quite a, big group of riders that still don't really know if they're bought or sold so that must mustn't be a nice way to sort of try to enjoy this 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 winter period because for me uh you know I, I i always my summer is is you know october november december really yeah so I've, that's that's where i get to relax i don't you know i get to stay at home uh, take a bit of time off train at home um, and not worry too much about the racing because that you know, that that only comes in the in the first part of the in the new year. Um, but for the riders without a contract, that mustn't be too that mustn't be nice at all. So, so how
0: has your the the summer of crucial events been in October, November, December?
1: It's been great. It's been dark, been wet, and I've been able to just relax and not, <laughs> and not have to worry about riding my bike too much. The first four weeks of uh, of my break. Um, and I, you know, like I said, I, I had a very busy, a very very busy uh, first half of the year with with two grand tours and uh, the whole Ardennes uh, classics, um, everything leading up to that. So I had, and then straight to the Olympics after the Tour de France. So I had a a, a pretty light race calendar in the second, uh, the later part of the season, but I still trained a lot and was motivated. Then, uh, you know, being being a good uh, competitive form for those races. So when the when the off season came, you know, I really, like always, welcomed it and enjoyed it as much as I could here here in Copenhagen, and then um, then got back on the bike about four weeks ago, and have uh, I've been uh, steadily sort of increasing the intensity and the volume, and that's also been a nice progression to be able to do that at home um, over a, a long, longer controlled period.
0: And have you then also been able to? Go sort of like outside and explore a bit on your bike as well around copenhagen
1: well to be honest i've, I've uh, this during the during the, this the second half of the season the autumn months where i you know I, there was so much racing in my legs and it, it was a lot of the training i uh, the time i spent training was also just a question of getting, making sure the the engine was ticking over because a lot of the high intensity work was had been done already in in my my many race days so I, I had a lot of a uh, lot of errors on the bike, and there I, I did uh, actually make make valuable use of my my 10:30 Garmin 10:30 because the map is so detailed that you know usually when when pro riders they certainly me when I train I train with a lot of intervals and a lot of specifics, so I actually don't veer off my usual training routes, almost like someone who has OCD. You know, I, I just can't I can't get a get my head around you know going left. When I you know when I have my routes and I I know exactly where I do my intervals and when I have to be back and whatever so it's it's almost it's very planned, but there when I had the freedom to just you know I just had to ride, I really you know I just I used the maps so much that I I, I, I almost discovered a huge, whole new part of of the region that I live in here in Zealand, and the the roads northwest and west of Copenhagen it's just you know it's a beautiful quiet fantastic uh, roads and it's just it's it's such an eye-opener that you can live in the in the heart of a capital city um like Copenhagen where it's busy but it takes me 12 minutes and then I'm out on on country roads and then with the with the with the ten thirty, I was I was following so many different paths and roads and I never got lost you know I was, I, it never led me to a dead end and I even sometimes on the road bike just you know took some bike routes through the forest because you know it's it wasn't meant by trails. And it just, it got me so, so far on on roads that I've ridden past more or less every day, but never really thought about going that way. And then uh, now my, 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 I've just broadened my, my training horizon so much.
0: Is it hilly enough that every now and then there's a climb showing up on your Climb Pro future as well in Denmark? or?
1: Uh, no, <laughs> I think I've <laughs> I, I've maybe done one ride where it's like uh, I've, I've approached the climb with the Climb Pro, but you know, by the time it had said go, I w- I was almost at the top. <laughs> so <laughs> there's not a not that many. There's climbs, but not a not as many climbs, nor not as long climbs as uh as the as you know the climb pro. I, I don't know if they would consider them climbs really.
0: <laughs> uh, and I saw actually on the, on your Instagram quite interesting. Like one of your other off season activities, you visited. Uh, you were active for, the, for a charity for the children's hospital.
1: That's correct. Yes, yeah, that's uh, something I've done the last uh, three years. In the last two years, we've done it at the hospital, and that's just been a fantastic experience. To we organize a, a a bike ride, a corporate bike ride, where where people can 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 take part and sponsor this. Uh, it's it's a it's a child's home or family home uh, situated beside the hospital, so that you know severely ill ki- children with cancer or any other life threatening illness they they and their families especially can actually live live it's like a big uh, hotel in a way run by um, by donations and um, and people who who work there in between day jobs you know it's it's uh, it's a really it's a fantastic place and there I've I've been I've gone to know them and then we, uh, we 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 have this event and we raise money so that you know that that they can they can make sure that this this home for these families and and and, and sick children you know it it can uh, it can continue and that's that, that I suppose it's probably the most important ride of of the entire year for me
0: <laughs> yeah i can imagine doing that there must be a sort of a, a entirely different satisfaction that you get from that
1: absolutely and i've gotten to know some some really inspiring children from from the hospital that I visited the first time three years ago, who were, you know, were, were so ill that it was, you know, they were there, it was really, it was uns- uncertain whether they'd actually survive. And now they've all, uh, some of them unfortunately don't and, and others that have and have recovered or you know, have become close friends of mine and they take part. And, you know, we talked throughout the year and some of them have become interested in cycling and have actually started cycling themselves as part of their recovery. And, you know there's one child he's he's an amputee he lost his his leg and but he's gotten a bike and had one of his friends who also was an amputee they've started cycling together so you know it's, it's really a, it puts things in into perspective and so it's just a nice way to sort of combine the joy of cycling and then also uh helping people who are who are more in need than than i am
0: we need to make sure that they that they join you on this ride
1: yeah, that, that's a good point. Definitely. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, Chris, we're gonna we're gonna let you off because you probably need some recovery after the JJ special from the morning.
1: Yeah, and I have one this afternoon as well. So there you go. Uh, uh, time to time to relax and prepare for the next session.
0: <laughs> All right. So guys, we're close to wrapping it up. Uh, we hope this has made your ride around London uh, feel like a constant boost, and to get to the finish line of the stage, you know what to do. Never stop cycling. The Garmin Never Stop series is until 19th of December and you've got four days to find the time to complete each stage with a short ride available every two hours on Zwift and the long ride is available every six hours. And just to remember, each completed long stage is an entry into the draw for a great price, either to win that TexNeo 2T if you complete a long ride or the Garmin 4Runner 945 tri bundle if you complete a long run. Uh, Chris, is there a long run every now and then in your off-season as well?
1: Well, to be honest, I think uh, like people have noticed there's a lot of pro riders have started taking up running and I think uh, I've, I've been doing it for quite some years now because it's, it's an easy way to sort of keep the body activated and keep the weight down. So uh, I, I run maybe two, three during when I start training on the bike as well, I, I have three running days or th- runs also um, and join the off-season where I don't touch when I'm not cycling I'm more or less running every day but not like Adam Yates who does marathons in under three hours I think uh, I, I struggle to make it to the 10k mark but uh, on the other hand then I'm just as exhausted as if I did a 260k stage of the tour so, so it's it's pretty effective
0: okay and maybe you also saw like Tom, Tom Dumoulin uh, lately a couple of weeks ago 10 kilometers in 32 yeah. minutes so you're not you're not quite there yet
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but they, that's maybe why they win big races and I don't, because they're also good. At, they're, they're they're good at all sports. Where <laughs> I do running as a, as as a part of training, but uh, it's, it's I don't even know. Sometimes the Garmin watch doesn't even log it as running, but just as a walk. <laughs> but.
0: Uh, Okay, so, so, we, to so, we probably, set speed. so we probably won't see you do the long, uh, the long run on this Garmin Never Stop series. Then to uh, to be in it for that. No, time. No, 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 okay. no, 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 no.
1: Okay, okay. <laughs>
0: all right, perfect. Thank you so much for for joining us, Chris. I uh, wish you all the best for next season yeah. with the uh, Team Bike Exchange, and uh, already a great rest of your no your little summer holiday coming up.
1: Thank you. I will enjoy it, and see you guys on the seventh of December at seven o'clock in the evening yes
0: 7th of december 7 o'clock uh, central european time make sure you join chris on the ride right along uh, the london 8 reverse course and for now thank you all for listening and thanks for tuning in and if you enjoyed this chat with chris make sure you look for the TurboTalks podcast on your favorite podcast channel and just listen back to one of the many other episodes with cycling greats like anna van der Breggen, tom dumoulin uh, maybe even nino shooter or alberto contador and many many more And as always, make sure you tell a friend about the TurboTalks podcast and subscribe, share, like and leave a rating and a review on iTunes. This was Rob Pau with Chris Juliensen of Team Bike Exchange for the second stage of the Garmin Never Stop series. Stay tuned for the next TurboTalks!